I'm delighted to welcome everyone to our first uh, uh, sector panel, uh, the, the panel on dry bulk. Dry bulk is clearly one of the uh, top performing sectors right now that uh, gets a lot of uh, investor interest. Um, just before coming on board, we were talking about, yes, we all miss the opportunity to see each other and, and handshake and be together. But at the same time, look at this. We have a panel with panelists from literally all over the world coming together through modern technology to talk to another global audience. So yes, I'm sorry we're not together physically, but I think I'm delighted that we're able to have this absolutely top level panel to discuss um, about the dry bulk sector. And without any more delay, I will turn it over to Arlie Sterling from Marsoft to welcome our esteemed panelists and thank you to everybody. Nicholas, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about uh, uh, what is certainly one of the most interesting uh, segments and most promising segments in the, in the shipping uh, business today. Um, investors have a choice of the white hot container ship market, the depressed tanker market, you can go into gas and elsewhere. What we're going to talk about today is what makes the dry bulk market unique, what, what makes it, and specifically, what makes these companies uh, such important players in the market and, and, and why do they have, a, uh, what is their strategy to, to capitalize on the success? Now, the good news about this panel is that John Wobensmith already told us all the answers with uh, his article in Lloyd's List today. So all you need to do is go back and take a look at that. But with this panel, we'll have a chance to ask him some more questions about the, uh, uh, about the future of the market and, and Genco. Um, I'm going to ask each one of the panelists to introduce themselves and talk briefly about how their business has been impacted by COVID. I think Nicholas has already highlighted the, the amazing fact that we're able to keep our, our global industry running while probably none of us have gone to the office with the possible exception of Ulrich here, I, I see. But uh, what, uh, I'd like to hear from each of you, uh, uh, how are you doing and how your, your, your crew are doing through this crisis in the, in the global economy? Uh, Lucas, you're, you're front and center in my screen. Would you mind starting? Yes, uh, thank you, Arlie. Uh, the business uh, was affected by the, by the COVID-19 and the restrictions. Uh, uh, we had uh, some additional expenses uh, uh, in order to change crews. We have to, do, we have to send uh, people uh, earlier for uh, uh, quarantines of uh, 14 days here and there. Uh, overall, we managed to uh, change the people gradually uh, last year, and so we don't have overdue people on, on board. Uh, however, it remains a big difficulty, and I think that something that has to be dealt widely and globally is uh, the need for replacement of crews, uh, and uh, that there should be some, uh, let's say, extra uh, provisions for, for such changes. Uh, I think we cannot allow people to stay on board uh, 14 or 15 month, months because uh, uh, no one wants to allow them to go out and go to their home or there are no substitutes. So uh, overall, I think we are fine. We are, uh, we have, the, the situation is, uh, let's say, it has been normalized gradually with uh, certain difficulties, but people should be aware and globally, governments should take uh, uh, actions towards this direction. Thanks very much, Lucas. Uh, John, I think uh, 
you've you've made a particular uh, commitment to crew change and uh, well crew welfare. How has uh, COVID affected Genco? Look, I, I think um, I think probably all of us are have uh, you know are 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 focused on the crew change side. You know, we we obviously started very early on. Um, we were fortunate we were able to get the first full crew change done in in Singapore on one of our capes. Um, and if you look total, we've done a hundred crew rotations since since COVID began, um, which involved over two thousand seafarers, and we've definitely spent millions of dollars uh, in additional expenses to make sure we, uh, we could get the crew home uh, as quickly as possible. Um, you know, I, I, I echo what, uh, what Lucas is saying. I, I, you know, there, there are a lot of countries that have made this very difficult for, uh, for, for dry bulk shipping. Um, there are some countries such as Singapore that have been leaders as, as well. Um, but you know the problem. The problem lies when you're doing crew rotations. Normally, they're done as as you know part of normal cargo operations. And uh, unfortunately, for the last uh, almost a year now, uh, it's amazing we're we're getting close to a year into this. Um, almost a year now, we we've had to do um, you know some a lot of deviations, particularly on our capes in the Far East, and uh, and and take ships out of normal rotation uh, to change the crew out. But obviously it's, it's really been our number one focus um, that, that we've concentrated on this year and, and for, for very obvious reasons. Thank you, John. Stimatis, uh, uh, we've heard uh, about the additional costs. Uh, are you seeing any charters uh, stepping up to help share that burden? <laughs> That's actually a very good question, Andy. Well. Um, we had one of these uh, capes that were trapped um, and still is in Bohai Bay in China with uh, the uh, Australian uh, coal. Um, and the ship is still there, to be honest. Uh, it took us about uh, almost three months in preparing for the ship um, to shift to South Korea so we can actually do the, um, the crew chains. Uh, to be honest, we had a very, very cooperative uh, charter in this particular case cooperative in respect of uh, the logistics, uh, not so cooperative in respect of the expenses. And the problem is that uh, in that particular case, as well as in other uh, deviation uh, requests that we um, do for the charters, not just for uh, Singapore, but also for the Philippines and other places that we have to change the crews, uh, usually they're not um, accepted as part, of, uh, as part of sharing the cost. So that's a little bit disappointing to be honest, because uh, most of the cost is borne by us, uh, deviation in, in a good market of 20 or $25,000 a day. Today's is $50,000, so that's, that's a lot of money. Um, and that's, it's disappointing. I mean, they say that they want to, to help and assist, and they allow the ship to deviate. However, they're not willing to share the cost in most cases, as far as we're concerned. Thank you, Stamatis. Uh, Ulrich, uh, uh, perhaps you have a special insight as to how the, the uh, situation has affected sale and purchase activity and taking over ships. Uh, how have you seen uh, the impact of Golden Ocean? Yeah, well, first I can say that uh, you're right. I am, uh, I am in the office. My living room at home uh, does not look like this. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, and thanks for having me on the panel. Uh, just uh, quickly, for those who don't uh, know me, I'm Ulrich Anderson. I'm the, I'm the CEO of Golden Ocean. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, we have uh, we have uh, also been impacted, obviously, by uh, by COVID uh, last year. Uh, it was a year, I think, like no other. Uh, implications for the crew have already been uh, been discussed, and and yeah, we we we're in the same boat. Uh, no pun intended, uh, of course, with the rest of the owners. 
uh, of course, there's also huge demand destruction, obviously. So I think from our point of view now, we feel we're in a better place. Uh, we are through this. We have uh, now uh, procedures in place for timely crew changes for the most part. Uh, we also have had our share of vessels in China, but the situation is, is easing. We actually birthed the vessel today. Um, and uh, yeah, I think we have that under control now. And then, of course, on the demand side, we are seeing a return of global GDP growth, which is very positive. Uh, so uh, not only uh, globally, but particularly, we see India and China now uh, uh, with, with, with I don't want to say explosive uh, GDP uh, uh, growth projections, but, but certainly uh, very high, uh, uh, high numbers, 8%, I think it is, for, for China and 11 for India. And these are two of the most important countries for, for, for dry-bought commodities. So I think we're at a better place now than we were 12 months ago. And uh, yeah, we are, we're trying to look forward now in Golden Ocean and, uh, and, uh, and uh, we're optimistic. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you, Ulrich. Martin, you're, you're feeling the impact personally uh, uh, through a series of quarantines uh, here. How has the COVID affected your business and, and, uh, uh, and, and, how, and how you run it? It was interesting because obviously based in Asia, we were aware by middle of January that uh, this thing was going to hit when 400 million Chinese put into lockdown and Singapore talked about quarantine, we realised what a problem it was. So at that point, we began make, making the plans. Obviously being handy and super ultramax owners, we're not trading so much long haul, it's more short haul. So it's been a huge amount of issues and you trade a place like Australia, which is very tight on how many months crew can be on board. So it's been a huge amount of planning, literally every week we get the crew list through and planning, you know, as soon as they've been on board seven, eight months, if we're going to do a 60 day trip, we have to be planning, can we get them off? So it's been a bit of a nightmare, but again, it's, you know, good staff planning. We actually sold five ships last year, managed to get round, round that with, with the crew changes, but you had to work very, very hard. And, and, and as John said, places like Singapore have been brilliant. You just have to try and pick countries. But the risk is always that the regulations suddenly change right. and you get caught out. So, yeah, we're in a far better place. I think we're far more experienced now. Um, but, uh, you know, the crew welfare is the most important. And you can't expect people to be on board, you know, 12, 14, 15 months. It's nuts. So it, it is still an ongoing issue. So as the... Uh, uh, the industry or the market has certainly uh, not seen the effect of COVID or at least not seen the ill effects, if I could put it that way. You were, you were saying uh, earlier that you had ships out, uh, some of your fleet at $18,000 a day, uh, Martin. When was the last time we saw rates this strong in the first quarter? And, and then, of course, just let us know how long it's going to stay like this. <laughs> Well, the, the last time that, that January uh, finished stronger than, than, than December was actually 2008, which was an interesting uh, time. So, yeah, we're, we're having to go back back to the good old days of the last uh, big market. And, and we were looking at some of the, the, the voyage rates today. And on some of the, uh, the, the, the routes, say, uh, logs out, out of uh, Australia into China, we're within five or six bucks of the all-time high. Uh, and bunker prices are reasonably comparable. So it's really interesting what is going on. Um, and especially the hand is where having been so unloved love for so long and suddenly their place in the sun. And it, it's all to do with these, I keep on saying, you know, you know, just in case stockpiles, not just in time, it's the minor bulks. And, and it, it's very exciting as to how long, I don't want to jinx it, but uh, 
all things considered, there's a lot going on. And, and if we get, as I think we're starting to see infrastructure, but proper infrastructure spending, then, uh, then it's exciting. You, you take Korea last month, I mean, between eight and 10 Ultramaxes of steel went to the US. There's half a dozen to the continent Mediterranean. There's a lot going on. It, it's long haul. So it's very, very exciting times. So um, what do we say, cautiously optimistic? Always in shipping, always in shipping. Ulrich, you were quoting as 8% growth in China. Is that uh, one of the reasons you, uh, uh, is that gonna give us a long uh, period of, of upswing in the dry bulk market? Uh, I'd like to think so, yes. I think we are definitely walking into better times. It's clear we have uh, historically low order book, uh, not looking to grow anytime soon. Uh, at the same time, as we as we talked about before, we have a we have a return of global uh, GDP. So yes, we're optimistic. Uh, right now, the Cape market is so and so, but the expectation is that as soon as we uh, we uh, we get uh, through, yeah, maybe this month we'll start to see some some uh, some seasonality kicking in as well. And let's not forget that when we look across the board and and, and this quarter uh, historically, these are uh, amazing levels. So. Uh, yeah, uh, already now I'm getting a little bit accustomed. So, so yeah, it's going to be a fantastic Q1 uh, for uh, I think for us and for, for 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 everyone. So yes, we see that. I think if we look even further down the line, or at least one more year down the line, it's uh, it's, uh, it's 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 even more it's even more positive because we expect more from Brazil. We expect from last year to this year more from Brazil, but uh, from this year to next year even more. So. You know, I think we the stars are aligning. So uh, I'll take it one step further and remove the cautiously uh, optimistic and just say I'm optimistic. Okay, very good. We're we're uh, we're, we're moving in the right direction. I think uh, for the panel, uh, Stamatis, uh, you're next uh, on my list here. What uh, what's uh, what are you seeing in the market? And and maybe could you talk about charter views or uh, in terms of uh, uh, getting long term business at, at higher higher rates now? That's actually a very good point. Uh, despite the fact that uh, the market has been improving uh, constantly and uh, on a more steadily pace than you know the previous years, uh, we have not really seen um, any big appetite for uh, period uh, employment by the charters. Um, however, when uh, the big miners uh, realize the fact that we're heading into a very severe vessel supply squeeze, which is going to happen in the next uh, couple of years. Uh, for the known reasons that we have been discussing over and over again, I think that the period market is going to come back uh, very, very aggressively and we'll see a period uh, for three, five or even more years, especially on the bigger sizes. Uh, right now, as I mentioned before, we're heading into a severe supply squeeze. Um, demand is going up like, um, you know, the previous speakers have just said. Uh, more product will be shipped uh, from longer distances like Brazil, like Kulrick mentioned. Uh, at the same time, uh, the current vessel supply is going to be reducing, um, not only because of the oil book, but also because of the environmental regulations that will force the ships uh, to slow down and hence create a deficit of tonnage. And that um, is going to be reflected in the physical market uh, very aggressively in the next uh, period. So this is our take on that. Thank you very much, Stamatis. John, uh, I think it was just in January that your capes were earning $20,000 a day, and, and now I feel like you know, they're being talked down a little bit. Uh, you've got, uh, uh, what's your view? Is, is, uh, do we have a, a long-term uh, arc upwards in this market? Yeah, I think the only one, the only people talking it down are probably the mining companies right now. <laughs> but uh, but I, I think from a, from a ship owner's side, uh, I, I think we're all pretty optimistic. You know, what 
in in the Cape market, and, and Ulrich touched on uh, touched on this, but we're in a little bit of a seasonal uh, soft period. There, we're just coming out of the rainy season in Brazil. There's maintenance, and and Valley in particular is still ramping up on the logistics side. But my personal view on the short term, as we get into the end of March, early April, we we should start to see that that seasonal upturn and and the. The nice thing is everything seems to be relatively healthy in China. And I don't just mean from a, you know, from a, from a growth standpoint, but if you look at iron ore inventories, you know, days on hand, I think are down to maybe 27 days. And usually you're, you're at around 31 days. So there's plenty of, uh, plenty of room for, for more iron ore to go in. And if you, the steel production has obviously done very well first quarter, um, but we also haven't seen, you know, we, we, we see, we've seen a, a typical seasonal inventory build on steel, but um, it's still, I think, about 14, 15% below uh, what we've seen in years past this time. So there's some very healthy things just beyond the, uh, the, the GDP growth that, that's setting up well for, for the Cape market and, uh, and, and China in particular. You know, on the, the one other thing I'll say is, you know, just on the minor bulks, when's the last time we've seen you know, both a strong Atlantic basin, but also a strong Pacific basin. Yeah, that, and that, that has really been helping the, uh, the minor bulk market um, as well. And it's, it's a lot of fun to talk about all the grain and don't get me wrong, that's, that's definitely driving a lot of this. But, you know, we're seeing a lot of cement, a lot of pet coke um, also, which is, you know, infrastructure related and, uh, and, and very healthy for, for a longer term uh, market. Thank you, John. I should say our, our analysis at uh, Marsoft supports a, a real V-shaped recovery in, in global trade. We're seeing a global trade growth of, of more than 5% in, in uh, 2021 and driven by these macro factors that you talked about. Also, also more grain uh, apparently coming out of the U.S. Uh, uh, Lucas, what, what are you seeing at, at SAFE uh, Bulkers? Uh, what are your views? Yes, I mean, we agree with uh all uh, the people who spoke pro uh, previously, I mean, uh, this is the, we all have uh, obviously similar views uh, based on uh, demand and supply. Uh, the importance for us is that, uh, the important issue for us is that we have exposure in the spot market right now, substantial exposure in the spot market. So we are able to, uh, to monetize the good markets that uh, are uh, in front of us. Uh, and uh, the key issue, how long it will last, of course, everybody would like to know that, but uh, we don't know it and we don't know what will be the events. But uh, what we know is that uh, the, the, at least from the, the supply side, that there are difficulties. Uh, it's not so straightforward uh, and it cannot, and this problem cannot easily be resolved. Uh, Many people who would like to place orders, maybe they would like to they, they place orders in uh, container ships and not in a dry bulk and uh, many people who would like in, in dry bulk many people who would like to place orders they can place orders in a, let's say in phase two vessels i mean that uh, exist if you want to go to a new build uh, which uh, i mean uh, it could i mean they could uh, let's say be easily uh, not so easily be adapted uh, in uh, the environment of the environmental regulations after 2023 or after 2030 uh, so uh, the squeeze of environmental regulations is something that will uh, uh, create a, a good story 
for a longer period rather than a short period of good recovery due to just demand-driven improvements of the market. So we've got positive trade growth. We've got near zero ships to be delivered over the next year or a very low number of the the stars are shining for the market. And as I say, all of Marsoft's analysis supports that view. Lucas, how, why are you the, the, the best place to put the money into the, to the market? What, what does safe bulkers stand out uh, from a strategic and investor perspective? First of all, from uh, our side, I mean, we place them in the company. So you see that we have good cash reserves. So we can uh, adapt in any uh, situation that uh, may evolve. So this is very, a key point for us. The second point is that we have done a, a couple of orders and uh, you know our strategy is always a long-term strategy. So we we try to, to do a couple of things. First of all, to gradually deleverage the company. The second, uh, I mean, further deleverage the company. The second thing is uh, uh, we try to renew the fleet. So, I mean, we have already done a couple of uh, new orders. Uh, we, we sold a couple of uh, older ships. You know, I mean, we are very conservative always. We don't intend to put, to make any, any great story. The only thing that I would say is that we would like to place orders for, for I mean, wherever we place an order, it would be for a, a phase three vessel uh, that will be able to, uh, to continue and be in the market for longer than 2030 uh, compared to all the other vessels. If you see how, how many vessels are before, uh, uh, they don't have an EDI index. I mean, it's a huge number. And uh, several of such vessels uh, built uh, in the past, uh, been before 2010, and with lower energy efficiency, we will have, we'll have to slow down in a couple of years from now uh, in order to reach uh, the EEXI, as they call it, which should be 20% lower. So also this reduction will create some uh, good story for the dry bulk uh, industry. Thank you, Lucas. So, so John, we've heard about cash, we've heard about long-term positioning and, and, and more about the environmental pressures. Tell us how Genco is, is uh, is positioning itself strategically and why investors should see you at the top of the pile? Look, I mean, we, we, um, we, our fleet is, is uh, concentrated in the Cape size sector as well as the ultra super. So we sort of have the, the, the best of, of both worlds. Um, and uh, if you look at what we've been doing, we've been divesting uh, our older assets. So we've sold all of our 53,000 deadweight ton. Um, we've also exited the, uh, the handy size sector um, and, and redeployed those funds into, into the Ultramax sector. Um, so going forward, definitely going to be concentrating on the, on the capes and the ultras. The, the divesture piece of our fleet renewal program is now over. Um, and so now we're, we're looking forward on, on what the next move is. But you know, with our balance sheet, I think we're around net debt of maybe 34, 35%, and, and we have a lot of cash. So we are, uh, we are really in a nice position right now in terms of, of optionality going forward and looking at how we uh, want to continue to, uh, to grow the company. The other thing is, you know, we, we've had a very, we had a very successful 2020 with, with our in-house commercial team. So the, the minor bulks, our, our team is, I'll perform the indices for the last three years. 
Uh, and if you recall, that's a, that's a strategy that we put in place uh, starting back in 2017. So now we can really say we've got a, you know, a good track record. It's not just, not just one year. So that, that's been very helpful to us. Um, we do have a small dividend in place. And uh, look, I, I just think the company is, is really well set up for not just this market with the operating leverage, but, but also the, the next step for the company. Thanks very much, John. So, so Marcus, John has added uh, trading uh, skills uh, and, and his, his uh, team, is, as he says, has developed a track record in that regard. So in addition to, uh, maybe you could talk about uh, Synergy. What, uh, what makes you stand out uh, from an investor perspective in this, in this uh, market that we see coming forward? Thank you. Well, uh, in Synergy, we take a more boutique approach. Uh, we are a much smaller company in respect uh, of the number of ships. However, we are aggressively expanding right now. We have uh, an excellent balance sheet, which we successfully overhauled uh, in uh, 2020. And we also have plenty of cash uh, to deploy, and we are looking into additional acquisitions. Um, so hopefully in the next uh, few quarters, we'll be announcing more and more uh, vessel purchases. Uh, we want to expand further. We want to do it with high-quality second-hand tonnets that we think will um, operate uh, very profitably for the next uh, six, seven, eight years until the implementation of the next phase of uh, the IMO. Um, that's the plan for us. Uh, we have also reduced massively our break-even costs to very profitable levels right now. So the company is very cash flow positive. We have a ton of liquidity. We're looking for additional acquisitions. And um, we're in excellent shape right now from a boutique approach, smaller, but uh, very, very flexible. Thank you, Stamatis. Uh, Ulrich, uh, uh, you've, you've already uh, put some cash to work, uh, I think, in, in expanding your fleet. Uh, uh, tell us why Golden Ocean is, is going to stand out in the, in the market that you see coming in the next years. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think there are two main arguments I'll, I'll put forward here. I think the first one, I'd point to is that we are the largest listed owner of CAPES. Um, a position we recently cemented, as you as you as you imply, we uh, we bought 18 vessels from from Heyman, from John Fredericks, now largest shareholder, uh, all ultra modern vessels. But 10 of those were were, were Newcastle Maxes. So we are the the largest owner uh, of of Capes, and generally we are focused on the largest segments where we we uh, we see the largest upside. So. In any normal market, except perhaps for today, uh, the charge uh, is led by the capes and the Panamaxes when the, when the rates they go. We believe that's going to return to a more normal situation uh, going forward. And uh, that's why we see the biggest upside there. We see the biggest upside on freight and on asset values. So uh, as a proxy for the dry bulk market, as a vehicle for, for, for capturing that, uh, what can you say, uh, yeah, a super uh, cycle, commodity super cycle perhaps that we are, that we are, that we are facing at, we think, we are an excellent play. I think the second uh, major argument uh, is that uh, we are very vocal about the fact that we want to return value to our shareholders. Uh, we have a strong balance sheet, almost $200 million. Uh, we have industry, I'm not afraid to say industry low, uh, Casper even. We lowered it further actually when we purchased the the, uh, the vessels from Heman. So we are looking at around uh, yeah, 13,800 for Cape before we have accounted for the fact they are scrubber fitted and that uh, more than half of them are scrubber fitted and they are index 120 sort of on, on average, uh, 8,600 for our, our Panamax fleet. So we think that uh, we have the potential to capture a lot of, uh, of the upside if, uh, if this market goes uh, and uh, that cash we generate, we are not gonna have sitting in our bank accounts, to put, let's put it that way. 
Thank you very much, uh, Ulrich. Uh, Martin, I, uh, uh, I'm here in capes uh, here and, and, and cash. Uh, uh, your, uh, tell us how Grindrod is, is going to stand out. I think you've got a little different approach in terms of fleet allocation. Very much so. Can I just add on the Cape said before that the please Cape guys, your yeah, hands off our cargoes. Yeah, come on, come on. You've got your own market. Yeah, you don't need to be carrying handy and Ultramax cargo. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's an interesting one because, of course, we are a slightly different business model, having been uh, cargo operators for 45 years. We have contracts evergreen going back all that time. So we've always had a, a core operating uh, ability which led to the outperformance over the years. And you add into that uh, a core fleet of, of 32 ships, uh, average age six years, 23 of them eco. Uh, basically all our ships are Japanese. So as, as this market goes forward, higher bunker prices, slow steaming, you capture that value, but also to, to position. And so always being classic cargo ships. And the middle of last year, we, we deliberately, on the assumption that things were gonna change, we. We obviously have our core business, but we, we didn't go long of any other cargo. And in fact, at the moment, we're about 80% long ships. So we are spot market traders. Yes, we have our core, which is very important to uh, kind of evergreen going forward, but very much uh, positioned now to, uh, to capture this value as spot traders and with an eco fleet as things get more difficult with the ESG and also bunker prices. So it's very exciting times. Add in, of course, that uh, values are rising, especially uh, Japanese, which is what all, all, all the Greek owners want. So yeah, and I can't wait for the Capes to join the party because when the Capes join the party, and I tend to agree it's going to be in the next month, six weeks, and the BDI streams past 2000 and the rest, it's, the sentiment is going to be unbelievable. So yeah, come on guys, we've done our bit, so uh, please help us now. <laughs> Martin, let me uh, follow up on your comments here. You mentioned something about slow steaming, uh, I think, uh, uh, in, in your commentary. Uh, are you in this market, are you seeing your ships uh, speeding up a little bit, trying to move more cargo uh, more quickly? No, 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 nowhere near. At these kind of levels, we, we would need to be, to be honest, probably 15, 20,000 higher, if that, to, uh, to justify speeding up. Um, you know, we, we obviously didn't do the scrubber situation, which was fine with, with a modern Japanese fleet on our size, um, which was fine. But moving that forward, we're all for high bunker prices. The higher the better, slower it goes. And the fleet has to slow steam fr from, a, from a CO2 and, uh, and carbon perspective. So, no, we're very excited by these high bunker prices and no signs of speeding up. You, you just can't. I mean, all the guys with cargo now are scrabbling. You know, there's a generation of, of charterers out there, operators out there. They've never seen a phone, phone market. It is quite interesting because at the moment, you know, have front haul, back haul, any haul, doesn't matter. It's all the same rate. Yeah. Hmm. So let's go forward. So th th this is very interesting now. And, and the slow steaming, I think it's here to stay for the foreseeable future. Interesting, interesting. The, uh, well, you know, what I think, one important story of the shipping market generally, certainly of the dry bulk market, is how it's really uh, uh, become very proactive from an environmental perspective. Last year, of course, we saw the uh, IMO 2020 and a, and a sevenfold reduction in, in sulfur emissions. We saw the Poseidon principles for the first report on the, on the carbon footprint of leading banks and an increasing transparency in that regard. Um, uh, 
the industry is uh, for for uh, kind of a uh, may I say a, a little bit uh, old-fashioned industry. Uh, it, it has moved rapidly to to adopt an environmental uh, perspective and, and to become proactive. Um, is anyone um, are any of your charters, uh, Martin, paying for uh, uh, reducing uh, carbon uh, emissions? No, not at this point in time. And uh, I always have a, a bit of a beef about the, we say charters that appear on the front page of Tradewinds proclaiming their green credentials are the same individuals that at times will take an old ship because it's 50 cents cheaper. So, right. so no, I, I think sadly, there's a long way, way to go, but that is inevitable what's gonna happen. And if it's a carbon tax, from our point of view, I don't see a problem, or is it gonna be a tax on the power of the ship? Um, I think it's inevitable wh wh where we're going. Um, it's just a matter of, at the end of the day, I, I've always, I've been quoted before, owners are always expected to pay for everything. And of course, it's been incredibly tough for the last 10 years. This has to be shared. It's not only gonna be a, an owner burden. So if we're gonna save the planet as owners, we all do our bit, but also charters and consumer have to pay, uh, have to help out as well. Thanks, Martin. Uh, uh, all right, the the uh, the European perspective uh, uh, on carbon taxes is is, is distinctive, uh, uh, and we've seen many ship owners support a uh, uh, a European specific initiative uh, 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 to uh, uh, raise the cost of carbon. Uh, how do you see the industry uh, moving in terms of, of its treatment of carbon? Are we going to become more and more balkanized or are we going to stay under one IMO kind of initiative? Yeah, I think that would be different uh, tracks and different, uh, different uh, paces. Uh, sadly, I, I wish we could have a, a unilateral agreement across the board, but I think we will need to move in different uh, tempi, but, but so be it. I think for, for, for me, for Golden Ocean, decarbonization is is a game changer and for us we think it into everything we do we believe almost that decarbonization cannot be uh, overestimated the, the impact it's going to have because it will impact your finance uh, access to competitive finance you mentioned the Posada principles it will impact the customers Martin said it not yet but it will come uh, and uh, we have seen the sea cargo charter for instance it's the first what can you say early warning if you like to call it that uh, we see uh, our employees uh, also demanding action. If you want to attract good uh, employees today, you need to have some 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 visions about the uh, bringing uh, down emissions and 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 help lift the burden, so to say. And then, of course, the uh, the investors uh, they are also more and more vocal about this. So all that will impact uh, the asset values, which are our you know uh, yeah the core of our business. So so I don't think we can we can we can. We can underestimate the, uh, uh, you can say the impact. And to us, it's not a, it's not the flavor of the month. It's not going to go away next, uh, next, uh, next week or next year. It's a mega trend. So the way we see it, from you know, the, the, in the big grand scheme of things, we need to move. All ship owners need to move from a high carbon model to a low and eventually zero carbon uh, model uh, in a fairly short time. Uh, if we want to stay relevant and, 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 and competitive. So it sounds like a tall order, but I think there are a lot of new revenue streams uh, 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 that we can tap into uh, in this transition. And uh, yeah, I've said before, uh, uh, we believe you can go green and stay in the black. And uh, yeah, we see, we see more upside than, uh, than, than downside from this. 
Thank you very much. I think that that's that, that decarbonization as a game changer is really a theme that, that we feel is a very strong one in the, in the industry. And, and again, as I mentioned earlier, the industry is being proactive. Uh, it's, it's not waiting uh, for this to happen. I think it's, it's uh, being taking initiatives that are very important in that regard. Uh, Stamata, so we've heard uh, that decarbonization is, is a critical story for access to capital and also access to people, getting the right people uh, in the company recruiting. What, uh, how is decarbonization affecting Synergy? Well, thanks. First of all, we are uh, maybe one of the very few companies that we recently announced that we completed the VDI and the EXI study for our fleet. So uh, that has been announced, uh, that has been um, in place, and we know what we expect for the next uh, seven, eight years uh, for the company and for the fleet. And um, the analysis shows that we did it in cooperation with uh, DNV, uh, that our fleet is going to be impacted uh, very, very little about it. And the actual capex that we need to um, invest in the ships is very, very limited. So we don't anticipate any issues for our fleet going forward. We have been pioneers on that front. Uh, to the other point, uh, I would also like to repeat uh, what the previous speaker just said, that uh, we need to share the cost of uh, reducing the environmental footprint of the fleet. We have done it very successfully on one of our existing ships in cooperation with one of our partners. Uh, however, we have uh, not seen the same uh, response when we suggested the same uh, project uh, to other charters um, that can immediately reduce uh, the greenhouse emissions of the vessels all the way down to 15%. So that's an immediate action that we can all do. However, like Martin and uh, a lot of other people have said today, we cannot do the cost uh, all by ourselves. We need to have someone sharing that and being on the front page of uh, any newspaper, trade means Lloyd's list, and saying that we want to become greener, but at the same time, you know, you don't really get into any projects. That's uh, actually a little bit disappointing. So we all need to share the cost. The know-how is there. We know how to do it. It's just a matter of who getting together and doing it. Can, can I add, uh, just uh, cut in, I, I'm, I'm, I'm perhaps a bit more optimistic because if you look at the, the Sea Cargo Charter as a, as a beginning, I think you'll very soon see um, that the, uh, the charters or the traders bonuses will be tied into a, into a, a certain uh, uh, amount of uh, reduction of their portfolio of emissions because otherwise the Poseidon principle, uh, they, they're, not, they're in breach with the Poseidon principles and then their finance costs go up. So I think that over, and once you, you change the incentive for the traders, you will see a completely different, um, uh, what can you say, uh, uh, behavior from the, from the charters. You would introduce a new a buying criterion, which is absolutely, uh, what can you say, new to shipping. Normally it's price, price, price. But I think over the next couple of years, we will see emissions becoming a buying criteria as well. I think the difference from what it was in the past when we all talked about corporate social responsibility and, you know, we sponsored a little bit here and a little bit there is that we are now all tying, you know, the, the charters themselves are tying themselves into this also. So I see, I, I'm, I'm, I see that, uh, uh, that, that, that the world will change. And I, I see that bill being picked up, not by the owners, because we can't pick it up, it's too big. Uh, I see that being passed on and ultimately to the end, uh, to the end consumer. Of course, there are no one uh, else who can pay, but I'm sure that the end consumer will pay uh, one cent more for, uh, for whatever uh, commodity they are buying uh, if, uh, if, if we can have uh, emission-free shipping by the 2030, 2040, 2050, whenever it's gonna be. Yeah, I, you know, Arlie, just to build on what Ulrich is saying, I, I, I agree with him. Um, 
I'm not sure how quickly the uh, the charters will pick up the cost, and I'll come back to that in a minute. But I, I do think this green initiative is going to be led by the by the large mining companies first. Um, I, I in fact we're we're obviously already seeing that with with some of the new building orders with the with the dual fuel LNG. Um, but you know, I, my my big issue is going forward. You know, Gen, Genco is spending a tremendous amount of time looking at ammonia powered ships and <laughs> Um, internally that, you know, that is, we, we, we're spending, a, a, as I said, a, a lot of time, we've done a lot of things on the, on the micro side in terms of MUA stocks and speed and consumption data gathering, but those are all short-term fixes. So we're, we're looking forward right now. My, the, is, the issue that I see is, you know, you're going to, you're going to have a point where if ammonia is, or hydrogen is the, the fuel of choice going forward, you're you're still going to have a mixed fleet. Nobody can snap their fingers and wave a magic wand and and you know carbon goes away and we're all running on ammonia. So at that point, you know our charter is going to pay for that ammonia powered ship, um, or are they going to simply charter you know the 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 cheaper, more heavy on on the carbon type ships? And so that actually argues really heavily, you've got to have a carbon tax. I, I don't know how you don't have that when you're trying to introduce uh, new technology and, uh, and cleaner fuels. I think that uh, in terms of uh, technologies of new fuels, it will take some time. So it will not be something that will be developed in the next, let's say, probably in this decade. Probably, I mean, we, there will be, of course, several attempts, but uh, the future fuel will come probably uh, in the next decade. Uh, so quite often the question is uh, that, that the company has to, I mean, each company has to consider is uh, how efficient are the ships that uh, they possess. Uh, and I would say that quite often uh, Japanese uh, fleet companies uh, have an advantage I mean, uh, compared to, let's say, to, to Chinese fleet companies, uh, because uh, overall the efficiency of uh, Japanese vessels was built uh, from a beginning at a, at a higher level. So, you know, I'm, I'm talking about ships of 2003, 2007, 2010, etc. Uh, and the second point is uh, whether we can, let's say, reach a point uh, where you can uh, have, let's say, a more advanced designs today. Uh, of course, uh, it is important to note that uh, the new fuels at certain point in time will come, but uh, it's not so straightforward uh, un unless the new fuel is LNG, where we know it and uh, there are, let's say, networks, any new fuel will take some time. And this could be uh, not as bad as uh, we may think because it will allow time for the market to adapt. So it is important for the companies uh, to have, let's say, a uh, to, to make lower their uh, greenhouse uh, footprint uh, uh, as soon as possible. And this is something that we are, we are doing uh, consistently. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, gentlemen, we have uh, two minutes left. Uh, I'd uh, like to get a very quick uh, feedback on you. The, the low order book is one of the key success factors for the dry bulk market. Uh, uh, tell us how uh, you think that's going to, is, is ordering going to stay restrained in the dry bulk market? Well, if I may yes. start here, oh, sorry. If I may no, start, it's not, it's, not only the, it's not only the law of the book and the uncertainty about what the shape of the future is going to be. Uh, 
you know, it's also the fact that the environmental regulations are going to actually create that severe supply squeeze, which I mentioned before, and that's going to drive the market significantly higher. Once everybody completes the EVDI evaluation like we did, and the market is going to be faced uh, with, that, um, with, that, with what the next few years are going to bring into shipping and how much speed all of us will need to reduce in order to meet these emissions, then we're going to have a more clear outlook uh, about the future. However, it appears right now, even at a minimum of 15%, sometimes in older ships, even 25, 30% speed reduction, that's going to create a big, big problem um, in respect of uh, less and less ships. And that's going to drive the market significantly higher. So it's not only the order book. The order book is uh, pretty much um, a result of not knowing what the rest of tomorrow is going to look like. Uh, let's see what the new regulations are going to bring and how the new, the existing fleet is going to rank and uh, we'll see what happens afterwards. You know, Arlie, I, uh, I, I agree with Stamatis. I, I think, you know, for, for once, we, we've actually got some barriers um, to, to ordering ships. But just to take the other side, you know, I can't help but be cynical about this industry. And, and I got to tell you, my, my email box is, is full of all kinds of offers to, new, new, to do new building orders right now, of, of which I'm ignoring uh, assiduously. But, um, I, you know, look, if secondhand values move like I think they're going to, which is, which is going to be up in a, in a significant way, I, I hate to say it. My guess is people will, will still place some orders. Um, I... Uh, Hopefully it's not large private equity type orders. Hopefully it's more traditional ship owners like everyone on this panel that, that's doing uh, you know, for, for replacement and, and, and lowering their carbon footprint. But the good news is at the, at the, at the worst case, that's a couple years away. I, I, think we've got a, I think we've got a very clear picture for this year and, and someone on the panel mentioned uh, 2022. I'm, I'm actually even more optimistic in, in 2022 because of the low supply and I think demand is gonna continue to grow. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your participation in the panel. It was, uh, I really appreciate that opportunity to speak with you all. Nicholas, thank you for putting us together and, and having this, uh, this conversation about the rainbow of the dry bulk market. I think it, we started out right, or we're ending it right. Nicholas, I can't hear you. Forgot to unmute myself. I wanted to say it's been a tremendous panel. Uh, Ali, you're a great moderator. Lucas, John, Martin, Ulrich, and the Stamatis, really thank you for um, your insight and wisdom. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you very much, Nicholas. Thank, thank you all. Nice seeing everyone. Good to see you. Bye. 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 Bye